0: Life Audio. Hello, and welcome to Kindness Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara.
1: And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. And we are back after last week, which means that in the interlude between the close of last week's conversation and the opening of this week's conversation, we have not yet been canceled. So if this ever makes it to air then it was a good week, you know?
0: I I guess so. Uh, So just kind of to recap on where we were last week, if you have not listened to last week, please press pause, go back to last week, um, because it's helpful to have a whole picture of the conversation rather than just um, dropping in halfway through the conversation. Right. So if you did not listen to last week, please go back and listen to last week. Did you go back? You did. Great. Okay. All right. Welcome. So um recap we've were last week we're talking um really leaned into sexual orientation. What does that mean in terms of our culture? How do we define those terms? And what is the biblical framework that we are able to operate within when it comes to our view of sexual orientation? Um the last half of of last week's podcast was then moving into gender identity. How do we understand gender identity? How do we understand the conversation that's happening? Um, within a lot of our younger communities, right? I mean, you have Gen Z. This is this is a huge conversation that's happening among Gen Zs. And uh, it's a conversation we need to be having. We need to understand it. We need to try and understand it. Um, so I guess let's pick back up with our conversation on gender identity. Right after this.
1: Thanks, John.
0: You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410.
1: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So last week when we were discussing kind of gender uh, identities and... We kind of were defining all of the the common terms that are part of the the nomenclature of of those in the advocacy space for uh, different uh, gender identities. Which you should go back and listen to that if you go back and listen to it again to with the pencil because there's just a lot like a pencil and a pad. Just like because uh, a lot of those 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 terms and um, nomenclature are kind of important to be able to wade in intelligently with with people in these conversations. Uh, But a lot of, uh, of what we were talking about made me think about the fact that um, this whole gender identity revolution, it seems to be parallel to the deconstruction movement within uh, faith circles where it's kind of like, well, why don't we question every single thing and then just deconstruct it down to like the nub and then see about building it up in a, in a different way. Um, and that seems to be what's happening a lot with, with gender. is like just the whole thing's being deconstructed and reconfigured um, as a social construct.
0: I think that's a fair assessment. I'm sure for a lot of um, Christians, that's scary, right? You see, even think about when it comes to the conversation of deconstructing your faith. There certainly are people who deconstruct right out of their faith. And that's the big fear when it comes to believers. As soon as you hear, you know, your friend, your your children, your relatives saying they're deconstructing their faith, you're like, oh no, that means like you're not gonna have faith at all anymore. And that's a scary that's a scary reality for people. But um, it's the reality that we're living in and I do think it is helpful to have these conversations and to understand why are people deconstructing and, and as we draw the parallels to gender identity, it is helpful to see like, okay, we have a generation now that is just really tired of the social constructs and the way that male and female are defined Is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to have that conversation? Is it a bad thing to wrestle with that? I would say no, because it's something that our culture has not always got it right. American evangelicalism has not always got it right. Um, And so it's okay to question things and to try and break them down in their parts with the hope of building it back up. And so when it comes to the conversation of gender identity, is there any biblical framework that we're able to operate in or is this entire conversation being guided by this gender identity movement and really being guided by our culture?
1: It is interesting because I never actually thought about this in these terms kind of so clearly because a lot of what we have done is deconstruction of faith or it's looking back at inherited traditions saying like this is not what the bible really says let's kind of reinterpret that as you reinterpret different portions of scripture your theological framework kind of shifts and changes um because of the the ills of a lot of what we were raised up with in the same way whether it be kind of traditional gender roles or whatever it might be um, there may be a a nugget of goodness with deconstructing some of that within uh, certain parameters. I mean with the faith deconstruction movement, I know there's certain people who have deconstructed so far that they're like, well, I don't even know if Jesus was even a, a a historical person who actually existed. I'm like, well, you've deconstructed like basically out of reality at that point. And so like, you know, just, just to places that are, are so far, beyond like removed that are mm-hmm. not really grounded anymore. Mm-hmm. I think in the same way, probably that's what's happened with the whole gender identity yes. uh, movement where a lot of it has deconstructed beyond the, the realm of what reality can, can withstand and bear. Mm. Um, so I think for us uh, of, of wanting to be uh, not only faithful to scripture, but also just like intelligent and compassionate. Um, what are the biblical frameworks for gender what of it is just cultural that that has we've imported into the bible um and and what are the universal principles that we can kind of map onto what we see in the gender identity landscape mm-hmm.
0: yes you articulated that really well um i think all of my months of kind of reading into this you You articulated it better than all of the notes I've taken. So thank you. When it comes to the biblical framework of gender identity, of gender, what does the Bible have to say about gender? It is really interesting how the overlap of conversation, as you're understanding the role of male and female within Scripture, um, you end up back into the conversation of, what is the role of a woman in general? And I just hadn't connected that there would be so much in scripture that, like I've already dove pretty deep into as I've tried to understand what is it that God is truly calling women to versus what is it that the American church has said women are to be within Christianity. That's just a sidebar. Sorry. <laughs> You had your sidebar of uh, the deconstruction movement, and I had and my sidebar of women in ministry, ultimately. Which
1: means is, the, the next sidebar is on me, you know? All
0: right. So get to it. Uh, so when it comes back to what we're, we're trying to talk about right now is the- What are we trying I to know, talk about? <laughs> back to the biblical framework of gender and gender expression. Uh, The kinds of deep thinking we are having around gender identity were certainly not happening when Scripture was written, right? Uh, Again, though we don't see it as a one-to-one correlation, there is a biblical framework that we are able to operate in. And there are two fundamental truths that I think help guide this conversation that are written in Scripture about how our gender relates to being made in God's image, Going back to Genesis in the same way that we had to do with sexual orientation, you see that God created man and woman in his image. So ultimately, God made two sexes, male and female. So like that's a really good starting point when it comes to gender identity. There are two. God created a binary. Mm
1: hmm. And I, I feel like people have, have said that in, in the past it, with a tone that is like very harsh and stern. But the, the, the fact remains that when God created humanity, he created humanity in a male-female binary. Right. The, the, the scripture expresses it that way.
0: Yes. And it's important to point it out because that's the framework we, we ought to operate within. Right? Like that is what God created humanity to be.
1: Right, so male if we're taking female. scripture as the authority, as you and I do, then then gender is binary.
0: Yes. So, as we are created biologically as male and female, we are to also express that in those same categories.
1: Got it. So they, from the biblical perspective, uh, gender is binary the sex that is assigned at birth Mm -hmm. is the same as the gender. And then that gender is the gender that ought to be expressed. Right. If we're looking at the way that scripture speaks about maleness and femaleness. Yes. Got it. Okay.
0: I always love it when you help clarify my mess of a sentence. Uh, So there's, there's no denying that men and women are different. Right, biology itself is the easiest place to point to the fact that men and women are, in fact, different. So uh, God made two sexes, male and female. Right at the beginning, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, male and female, he created them. So according to these verses, the biological difference between men and women is a fundamental part of God's design.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Our sex is a part of who we are as well as part of what it means to be made in God's image.
1: Yeah, and this has been said so many times by people at the Daily Wire who are also not very kind people sometimes. Oh. Um but we see this actually in 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 your chromosomes, XX and XY. You see it in uh your your bone structures, we see it in in your hormone chemistry, uh we see it with In your brain? In your brain with your The way your hair grows and where it grows, I'd already say your skeletal structure. Like, if we dug up the bones of somebody from, you know, 2,000 years ago, and let's say that they were um, transgender, there would be no way for us to properly gender them according to the framework that is our current cultural ideology. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that, that, that kind of indicates that there's something biologically fundamental about the the sex that we have now, there are uh exceptions to this yes, where uh someone can be born with uh both of the reproductive organs of a male and a female. Is the term hermaphroditic cancelled I'm not sure is that still an appropriate term? If it's not, I apologize uh but that's I'm not the sure. that's the term and so that is um a medical anomaly mm-hmm. to be sure it does happen and uh a lot of times when doctors make a choice of um essentially which of those to keep after the baby's born um that can often lead to gender dysphoria and that that's right. a, it's a very um difficult situation uh, for the person tragic. for their parents it's it's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's not something that we would wish on anybody right um but that is to say that that is not uh, normative at the same time it's not even um this feel, uh, it feels weird to say it's not statistically significant in the sense of that this is representing a, a, a considerable portion of the human population. I don't want to sound cold when I say that, but it just, just to, to put it in perspective –
0: Right. So as we talk about an entire generation that is wrestling with gender gender identity, that entire generation is not wrestling with what you just described.
1: Exactly. And so we need to have particular care, particular empathy, Mm -hmm. particular compassion Mm -hmm. for those people on that individual level Um, and the common experience that that group of people has. But also to say that that is not the... That's, that's not factoring into the conversation of, you know, the other 95%, 98% that we want to talk about that, that isn't in that, that state of crisis, biologically speaking.
0: Right. So as we describe, like, God created you with a certain gender, this group of people is a different conversation.
1: Right. Yeah. Yep. Where they would, they would have objection with that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, not speaking to that group, it's speaking to the, the larger sum of people who are um, trying to understand gender identity and what is their gender identity. Um, so, the way that we can understand it from a biblical perspective is that gender is who you are biologically according to God's created design. This is your true gender, who you are according to God. In this sense, a man or a woman's gender is not fluid. It cannot become whatever we want it to be because it's a part of our personhood. It's a part of the design that you were created with. But how we express that true gender is a bit more nuanced. Um, And so as we see the biblical framework, God created a, a binary that we're ought to operate within. And the way that he created you biologically is the gender that you are is also the gender that is supposed to be expressed through. It's the true gender is kind of the best way I can think to identify that term is your true gender um, is the gender that God created. The room, the place that has a lot of nuance is when it comes to expressing that true gender in our culture. What does that look like based on our culture?
1: right, and I want to talk about that in just one moment yeah, so in talking about gender expression, which probably in our nomenclature, we would talk a lot about gender roles in relation mm-hmm. to that, um, while gender identity in in the bible those are fixed in any time that we interact with them uh, in the scripture. Uh, if you were just looking carefully at the author's intent, like those things are always fixed. Um, but there are places in the Bible where what we might consider to be gender expression, um, the Bible actually often challenges the cultural assumptions of how gender ought to be expressed um, against the backdrop of the culture of that time. Did that sentence make sense? So I'll give you an example. I th-
0: yeah, I think I'm tracking.
1: So, um, But even even in those, it is still remaining fixed within gender identity. So one example that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11. Now that's the infamous uh, head coverings passage where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he's saying – When your women pray and prophesy in the general assembly, make sure that they have their head coverings on because it's a disgrace if they're praying and prophesying in the public assembly of the church uh, if if they don't have – scarves on their heads. And that's a passage that we just tend to look at and say, okay, I'm going to flip the page on that one because I have no idea. Like, do I wear a a scarf scarf on her head when we go to church? Like, what is happening there? Well, it appears that what was happening was that the women were praying and prophesying in the church, which would have been uh, countercultural to a male-dominated society where a, a woman would express leadership. Particularly, spiritual leadership through prophesying, which is you know akin very much to modern day preaching, that they would be leading the prayers, uh, and and nowhere does Paul rebuke that. And so, the gender expression uh, that that Paul is affirming is actually countercultural to the world that's surrounding the church in that moment, in that it it affords more influence. Uh, authority impact to women than would have been normative to them. But then he has this caveat to that, to where they they also had this kind of cultural norm where women would cover their, their heads, and that was uh, kind of a part of their cultural modesty. That's just what women did. And so when the women were praying and prophesying, apparently what they were doing was not wearing uh, anything on their heads because they were expressing themselves in a masculine way through this leadership. And so if they're going to express themselves in a masculine way, they needed to present in a masculine way. And so what Paul is talking about with having them put their head coverings on while they're praying and prophesying, he says, yes, you can do this thing that is typically the expression of a man, but you ought not to abandon your female identity in order to do it. Does that make sense? Yes. So in that sense, the, the gender identity is fixed, Mm -hmm. but the way that, uh, that Jesus has called redemption between man and woman male and female is that the the way we express those two fixed genders in our society and in our church might need tweaking.
0: Right. Yeah. And what we're seeing is probably because of these very strong categories of what does it mean to be male and what does it mean to be female? Oftentimes in our culture and really throughout history, it has been better to be a male, right? Right. And it has not been so great to be a female. So as we're really trying to push, continue to push up against that, we're like, okay, maybe we don't even need the categories at all. Maybe we don't need it because the, the categories are unfair, The categories are not favorable to women. Even in the example that you gave us, it's talking about a woman trying to step into what has been seen as a a male role, right? And people are like, well, you're a woman. You're not supposed to do that. You're a man. And so there is some yearning within our culture to get rid of the categories in a large way. But what we see in scripture is the categories are important. The categories of male and female matter. I do think there has been a lot of getting that expression wrong throughout history. There's been a lot of getting the gender expression wrong throughout our culture, even now. But as we look back to what is it that God truly created, what Is it that he had in mind when he was creating male and female? It is this beautiful expression of the fullness of who God himself is made in his image. They are distinct in who they are as male and female, but together God created them to operate within this world to be an expression of who God himself is. And trying to get rid of the male and female categories altogether or trying to not identify in either which way is actually losing a bit of what God created and a bit of what he designed humanity to be. And again, I understand that our our world has gotten it so wrong and has used it in very abusive ways even that we just want to get rid of it altogether. But... In even deconstructing our identity, I suppose, what are the parameters that we're supposed to be operating in? And those parameters are, God did create male and female. And he did create you to be male or female, right? And how do we express that in a way that is glorifying to him? And how do we express that in a way that shows yourself to be male or female in in a good way in a way that is is true of what he created and sometimes it's like well that's just a hopeless ideal because how are we ever going to see it in the form of its true beauty until christ returns like we're still not going to get it right but gender identity, what's happening now. And and the caution that we need to have as Christians is you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You have to try and see what God created and how is God redeeming that? How is God restoring that? And how is God bringing that back to the goodness of what he created it to be? And stepping away from any kind of categories is not moving in that right direction even though again i think culture needs to be corrected and i i understand the longing for culture to be corrected and i think this is a way we're doing it um also to not talk about the postmodernism effect that we're seeing is the shift in thinking altogether of identity is very much um kind of like the domino effect of postmodernism is, I am who I feel I am. Like reality is is really based on feeling. And that is not really solid ground to stand on. And we do see that a lot in scripture where it talks about like, your own like flesh and your own heart being deceptive to yourself. And you can't necessarily like trust what that feeling is in that time. And so it's good that we hold back to the biblical framework and still pushing and challenging culture to get better, still pushing and challenging culture to, to care about people better, to care about gender roles better, to care about gender expression better, But we can't push so far that we step out of what God intended humanity to be.
1: Right, because if the categories are created by God, then the categories aren't themselves inherently problematic. What is problematic is about the way uh, man-made borders are built around those things that God didn't himself implement and God would actually be for uh, expressions of, of those categories in ways that are more uh, just and equitable and empathetic um, and uh, are, are a more full and whole image of who he is if we are created in his image as male and female if part of uh, the image of God is maleness and femaleness. Uh, if we're distorting one or both of those, uh, then we're not uh, achieving the true beauty of who God created humanity to be.
0: Mm. Yeah. And again, God intended, like he created two genders, right? He, He created us to operate within a binary. And both male and female are to have importance, are to have value, are to, um, are needed in our society. So we need males and females. We need those, um, expressions of the two genders to, to even see flourishment within our society and flourishment within our culture. Again, I, I think we've got it terribly wrong on a lot of occasions, but maybe this re- reanalyzing of gender identity and even as a Christian, we can have empathy and understanding towards people who are just like, man, like culture is getting it wrong so much. So let's get rid of all of it because they don't have a biblical framework to operate in, where it says no man and womanhood is a good thing. It it should be a good thing. I created it to be a good thing, but yet again. <laughs> Humanity has ruined that, but how do we bring that goodness back out rather than just cutting it off altogether?
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that we can agree upon the problem that is precipitating divergent movements Mm -hmm. with still holding convictions that I think the, the, the most beneficial and righteous way is to go this way, even as you have decided that your movement is going to go in a completely different direction i think we we can come back to that point of like but the problem's really this
0: yes yes and so understanding there is a problem um but maybe the way that our culture is trying to solve that problem is not what we should lean into as christians we should understand the problem again but how do we lean into it in a way that is glorifying and even redeeming to the people around us glorifying to God and redeeming those around us um and so it's it's accepting the truth that culture has um mandated genders to operate within certain ways you know um i think of just the very stereotypical gender roles right like the man goes out and he works and Um, he brings in the money and the woman is supposed to be home and she's supposed to have dinner waiting for him. And you know, then he can sit down and watch TV and she makes sure to bring dinner to him. Like you see this, this picture of what it is to be man and woman, husband and wife, right. Um, within that like narrative,
1: which is very much based on like a post world war two white America culture of the way things in that period of time worked. Um, but then somewhere along the way, we kind of mapped that onto Christian ideals right. of gender roles because America is a Christian nation, and so whatever America was doing in the 1950s is the Christian way to do things, and that's where we get all kinds of messed up.
0: Oh, it it does. It gets so tangled. It gets mess messy, messled. It gets messy. It's ugly, and it's hurting people, and that's the hard part when it you boil it down to talking about sexual orientation and gender identity, you have to remember there's faces behind these conversations. There are hurting people. There are confused people. There are, are people who are trying to find solutions. They're trying to find hope in these changes of their own identity. And too often, I think we Christians hear about this and They're like, that's crazy, and I don't understand it, and why are people thinking that way? Like these young people, and we're riding off the conversations altogether instead of trying to step in and lean in and talk to people like, why are you thinking this way? What is it about your identity that you're trying to figure out? The search for identity, especially within your teenage years, is not new. And this is based on just about everything I've read. This is where we're seeing um, a large push in the conversation of sexual orientation and uh, gender identity is within those like preteen, teen teen years. And they're really searching and trying to figure it out. Um, And this is where like it's all happening. This is where the real conversations are happening and you're seeing like, I have faces in my mind of people who are deep in these conversations and too many times as older people, as Christians, we're so afraid that we want to call them crazy. Right. And
1: they're crazy until you have a friend or a family member who is identifying in such a way.
0: And so instead of calling people crazy, let's like actually listen and and also understand there is nothing new under the sun. Trying to associate your identity, figure out your identity is not new. It's not a new concept. This is just the way that we're seeing it. The difference we're seeing in our in our culture today is it's kind of being living lived out through these two particular topics. Um, and if it is going to be something that all of our teenagers are facing, okay, maybe all is too strong of a word, but if it's something that your teenagers are going to be around, they're going to be exposed to, they're going to be talking about, it's foolish of us not to actually do some research and and understand. Like you're not going to be any help as an adult in guiding anyone towards any kind of biblical truth if you don't even understand the starting point of where they're coming from
1: right all the all the terms like you just yeah. need the whole lexicon of uh-huh. terms to even understand what they're even talking about and and that that to me has been one of the more challenging parts of even wading into this conversation is understanding like w- what are we what are we talking about because mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just to even wrap my my mind even around the idea of of non-binary it took me like weeks to just even just
0: Yes, that's like, because you're be, old.
1: To be okay. <laughs> I guess my brain elasticity <laughs> yeah. isn't good. And I think that's why so many people respond in, in the ways that they do that is so mm. awful sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's like a fear response. Because like, okay, so if we're talking about like the gender roles of like what you believe to be the, the Christian gender roles of like the 1950s, there's a certain freedom in that framework. In the sense of, like, if this is the role that I don't have to think about, I just mm. live within that, that there's freedom to operate within those categories. That okay. there, There's actually, a me- you know, by and large, for most people, there's a measure to which you can, like, the majority of people can flourish, even given, you know, those constraints. Hmm. Um, those constraints are more constrictive than what I think the the actual biblical understanding of male and female is and um but i think there comes to a point where um where like freedom becomes tyranny yeah when you can be whatever you want to be um that i mean that's just that's just too much to to bear for for when the, the choices of who you can be are infinite um there's a certain measure to which like that's that's tyranny like that's so that's like that's like emotionally oppressive mm-hmm. to who you are that um being given structure and 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 boundaries are is is actually beneficial that it that if god has said like here here are the binary genders and here's how i've the framework I've established for how these genders to uh interact with one another mm-hmm. and build society together that there's There's actually some peace and freedom within that. The problem is when we've too constricted it to some ideological ideal. Yeah. That we say we need this is not this is not free. We need to be free of these things. Get to maybe a point of equilibrium, but then become entirely too free and freedom becomes tyranny. And you mentioned, you know, teens and preteens. Um just the identity crisis that you go through, that preteens and teens have been going through for generations. You know, well, and that's and biological. You, yeah, it is. What
0: they're enduring, what people are enduring at that age, is is completely biological and hormonal. Like, there's such a massive shift happening in in the body of a teenager that, of course, like all the circuits are like going off because there's so much happening within one human body
1: yeah i mean the psychologists developmental psychologists talk about um how are these these two uh periods of differentiation from your your parents the first ones at like age two where you Mm. like your brain starts to develop to a point where you realize like i am a person
0: i am my own person yeah
1: i am an autonomous being Mm -hmm. and so that's where you get like the terrible twos or whatever and then kind of that once that that's kind of established it's kind of like there's a quiet period, but then once you hit preteen and teen, it's like you do it all over again because you realize, like, no, really, like I, I am a person,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I am my own person,
0: and I can make my own decision. I can
1: make my own decision, but okay. who is this person? Yes, and so that is the identity crisis that you know creates so much tumult in in the houses mm-hmm. of people who have preteens and teens because they're just trying to figure out like who the heck am I do I want to be like you I don't want to be you I'm not you to our mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. but I'm but what does that even look like um I think that that's a you know tumultuous but it's you know part of a rite of passage into becoming an adult uh, I think when you add on the uncertainty of the almost infinite gender identities that someone can have I th- I'm not trying to like be condemning or or Mm -hmm. mean about this in any way i think that that freedom becomes tyranny
0: Mm. yeah and i think as we understand it we also have to see it within the context of our fallen world of our fallen world is seeing there are issues at hand and there is an identity crisis i mean for for teenagers specifically um and we need to extend some compassion and grace for that and underst- and just try and understand. I think that's the big issue right now. Even in articles that I'm reading that are written by Christians, most of them have like no intention to understand.
1: Mm. No They intention- even misrepresent. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They misrepresent the other side to make it seem more evil.
0: Yeah. And, and just make it seem crazy and wild and like... We have it all figured out. Our generation or our view of things has it all figured out. There's a lot of books that I've read on this particular topic, especially that lean into the effects of postmodernism and like the crisis and just the sexual revolution in general. And you see it from this historical like events kind of scenario, which I think is helpful. But that's part of the picture right? Like that's part of the picture of how our society has arrived here. But I'm thinking of someone right now who's like, you know, 12 or 13, and they're not seeing anything about the sexual revolution affecting their gender identity right now. Like that is so far removed from what's on their mind. And so we have to step into these conversations with the intention of understanding fellow humans, understanding people who are wrestling with this, who are even experience some sense of gender dysphoria who it's 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 disturbing them to the point of having mental health issues of, of wrestling with depression and anxiety and and so this is real life happening and for us to just see it as something to research or something happening just in like written form and not with flesh and bone behind it it's such a disservice to our society, to our communities, to our families, um, and it really does lack the heart of Jesus because Jesus seeks to really step in and and commune with people. How do you commune with someone if you have zero intention to understand them? Right. You can't. And apart from setting a biblical framework, which I think is very important because even as we seek to understand, you can't be like, oh, that all makes total sense. And you kind of just go with the culture you go with the world and you're swept away by it. So it's helpful to have, wait, but how do I take this back to the Bible? How do I see, is there a biblical framework I can operate with? And is there like a foundation I can stand on and then navigate the rest of this? Because I can certainly understand why we are where we are. I can understand why is it that I don't fit into this category of being female or being male, right? Because of the the way our culture has defined those things. But our culture is not the Bible, right? Our culture is not God. And so we actually see the Bible say quite the opposite of that. Um, so how do we set the biblical framework, and then step into these conversations with our friends, with our family. And I particularly think of these conversations specifically as a mother, as a parent, as an adult, as an aunt. And I want to understand what is happening in my children's lives. I want to understand what is happening in in the minds of my nieces and my nephews. And instead of just thinking they're crazy, like, okay, you're going to say you're, you're this identity. Well, you're not, and I'm not going to call you that, and I'm not going to use those terms. Like, can we just try and understand? Because how can we ever expect for the love of Christ to show through? If we don't even want to step in and understand somebody.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you don't uh, express, you know, any empathy or an ability to see their perspective, then you'll never have uh, anything compelling to say to them that might change their point of view. I mean, you like, there's this big, like, you just gotta tell them the truth. You just gotta tell them the truth. Well, like, yeah, but you also have to, like, they have to, you have to relate to them in such a way that they will receive some kind of truth from you because you've accepted, you know, their, you know, their yeah. quote unquote truth. You know, there's there's obviously, we believe that there's one truth, but we live in a postmodern society where people think that truth is relative. And so until we're willing to at least, like, see someone's perspective mm-hmm. and say, I can mm-hmm. affirm this, this, and this, and even the parts I can't affirm, I can understand. And I feel with that. Um, unless we're, we're willing to uh, reach out to that point, then we'll never have anything compelling to say to somebody right. on side of, on the other side of mm-hmm. the gender identity mm-hmm. divide.
0: And I don't think the the conversation of sexual orientation and gender identity should bring us any kind of fear. I think we're seeing just another shift within our culture, but like we have to stay tethered to Christ and we have to stay tethered to his truth. And knowing that like we can do our best to guide our kids and our grandkids and our youth groups and like the generation that comes next, we can do our best to guide them towards Christ and towards the truth of scripture. Uh, I It is important that in our, in our hope to understand them and in our hope to love them, that we don't compromise on truth, that we don't um, say, well, then I affirm all of it. I affirm everything and everything is good and everything is great because I love you and I want us to be on the same page. I don't want you to block me out of your life. Uh, we have to continue to hold intention, truth and love. Um, but oftentimes I think We
1: we err on one or the other.
0: We we do one or the other because we don't want both.
1: To not waver on truth doesn't mean that every time I see you, I have to tell you I think you're wrong.
0: Well, and it doesn't er, mean every every time time I have to. If I wait, if I hold to truth, that it doesn't mean every time I see you, I have to remind you. Here's the truth, and hit you over the head with it. I actually think you can't even step into that conversation of truth until you have developed that relationship um, and respect for your truth to be heard.
1: Right. You need the relational authority.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, because if I haven't shown you that I love you, if I haven't shown you that I cared about you, if I haven't showed you that I'm here to understand you, then how in the world are you going to even take anything I'm saying to mean anything, to be worth anything and so, to even start with truth, I think is is sometimes a bad place to start um, in a personal relationship.
1: That's the headline. Tamara Chamberlain says you to can't, start with you can you never start. With you truth. can't
0: start with truth. Yeah, start
1: somewhere else. Yeah, but but seriously, like you can't start with like here's what I think. Yeah.
0: Oh, I came home. You know what? I think that I'm non-binary, mom. Well, let me tell you why that's not what you're supposed to be thinking. It's like yeah, what me... in the world? Like that is not helpful. They're just going to lock their door and like not want to talk to you ever again. So how do we hold intention, truth, and love? And I do think it's hard. It's hard to hold both of those things. But um, we need to be invested enough in the lives of others to try and see the biblical framework that we're supposed to operate in, but also to try and um, establish that relationship and that love for them so that you can even step in and speak any kind of biblical truth to anybody at all.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Kynos Project Podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kynosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.